And I want to begin our conversation today by talking about, by talking about road trips. All right. Now, Chris and I, we were kind of at the, out at the lakeshore uh, this summer, went through this kind of antique uh, collectibles type place, and I saw a coloring book from back in the day. Is this coloring book right here. I want you to see a close-up of the kids in the station wagon. Uh, <clears throat> anything look wrong with that image? Anything look wrong with it? Yeah, no seat belts, just kind of hanging out the back. They don't make station wagons like that anymore with seats facing the back. All I can say is welcome to my childhood. Uh, for a while, uh, a little while while I was growing up, uh, my dad had this old pickup truck. We'd drive around town with the kids in the back of the pickup. Was I alone? You guys do this too. So all I can say is, listen, uh, this, this was safety for our family. Uh, my dad in the front of the pickup banging on the glass saying, hey, sit down while the truck's moving. That was safety. That was safety. So uh, those, of you, those of you who are millennials... If you ever find yourself in a conversation with a baby boomer and don't really have a conversation starter, try this one on for size. How did any of you survive childhood? That might be a good place to start. But there's something else that's wrong with that picture. It's not only the safety concern, it's that everybody's having fun. Now, road trips that my family would take when I was a child, I spent the first 12 years of my life in Idaho, out west, in Idaho. But we had lots of connections in the state of Michigan. And so it was like almost every summer, we would drive from Idaho to Michigan. How far is that, you ask? 1,600 miles with no tablets, no movies, no devices, no audiobooks. See, Back in the day when we would travel 1,600 miles, us kids in the back seat, we had to make up our own games. And one of the games that we would play routinely is a game called She Started It. <laughs> she Started It. And there was another game, kind of when we got tired of playing She Started It, there was another game we played, and that game was called He Hit Me First. All right. I remember one vehicle we had, we're sitting in the back seat, and it was like this seam that came down the car seat, and that seam divided my space from her space. And she would sit there. She, my sister, Julie, one year older than I, she would put her fingers across, like walk them over to me, touch me, and then try to get them back before I smashed her fingers. And if I succeeded in smashing her fingers, she would cry, and I would say, she touched me first, she hit me first. And so uh, this was, and my dad, he had a game he played too. It was called, I don't care who started it, I'm going to pull over and finish it. All right. One of the challenges, one of the challenges of parenting youngsters is attempting to communicate to a smaller child, you don't have to hit him just because he hit you. <clears throat> Listen, just because she hit you doesn't mean that you hit her. And my friends, <laughs> this is not a challenge that goes away when we exit childhood. So check in with me on a teaching. Uh, the writer is Peter, one of Jesus' disciples. This is decades after Jesus' uh, crucifixion and resurrection. But he's writing to a group of Jesus followers. He's writing to some Jesus communities. And listen to what he writes about this, she started it, he hit me first thing. First uh, Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Do not repay evil for evil, and do not repay insult with insult, no, 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 on the contrary, repay evil with, the critical word, repay evil with what? Blessing. 
blessing. Evil to you, respond blessing back. And he says, listen, because to this you were called that you might inherit a blessing. What in the world was he thinking? What's going on there? What's going on there is that when Peter is writing, the Jesus community is experiencing some persecution. That is, if you connected yourself with the Jesus community, if you connected yourself with Christ, you could be like walking through your little, little town marketplace and you could be publicly shamed, publicly, verbally harassed, like while you're with your family. In other cases, you could actually get beaten up. Or worse, this was very real. When Peter writes these words, it's not just theoretical and hypothetical. Bad things were happening to people who had become believers, to people who had become Christians. And he's coaching the group, and he says, listen, when that happens, when that happens, don't repay evil for evil. Don't repay insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. And to this you were called. It's part of of your holy calling as a believer. Jesus so wants to reward you that you might, you might inherit a blessing. Now let's just get something, let's just get something out. It is, it is the most natural thing in the world to want to hurt the person hurting you. It's just the most natural thing in the world. It is the most unnatural thing in the world to be kind to the person who is hurting you. And so while people living like right after the time of Jesus, back when Peter was writing, it was a different culture, a different setting. Friends, for us, I think, it's, I think it's going to be a critical conversation today. Because some of you will have renewed interest in trying to figure out how to honor a parent that didn't exactly honor you. Maybe they were detached, disinterested, absent. Maybe they bailed. And you have a renewed interest in trying to figure out what, what does it even look like to try to honor a mom or a dad where you didn't get the blessing that you wish you had received. I think today's teaching, could, it could revitalize your marriage. That first statement there, uh, do not repay evil with evil, oh, or insult with insult. Repaying insult with insult is, by the way, how evenings unravel. He said, then she said, then he said, then she said, and it just seems to escalate. Someone not repaying insult for insult over, over time, over time. I'm telling you, this can revitalize your marriage. But it's not just about family stuff. Uh, Middle school, it's been a while for me. Question, are people still mean? What does that look like? Do not repay insult for insult. Repay evil with blessing. And business, you might discover that a person has flat out lied to you. And you will be very fine if bad things happen to that person. What does this even look like? I mean, repay evil with blessing. What does that even look like? And secondly, who in the world would want to do that? Because it is the most unnatural thing in the world to be kind to someone who is causing you pain, to be kind to someone who has been mean to you. What's this doing here? Uh, how do we actually do it? Why would we want to do it? So let's, let's, let's talk. 
let's talk today. Uh, I've kind of broken down our conversation into four parts. And part number one, I just called the response. Part number one, I just called uh, the response. Because this is about responding. Somebody has done something. Somebody has said something. Somebody hasn't done something that they were supposed to do. So this is about responding to something. And just back to that verse, uh, do not repay evil for evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with what? Repay evil with, what's the word there? It's a big word. Repay evil with blessing. A question, why in the world, where in the world did Peter get that idea? Repay evil with blessing. This wasn't original with him. Peter was a disciple of Jesus and had hung out with Jesus for like three years. When Peter says, repay evil with blessing, he's channeling Jesus here. Because one of Jesus' most profound and challenging teachings was this right here, where Jesus said, bless those who curse you. Bless those who curse you. Now, uh, got to dig into this a little bit, because I think we in our culture today are kind of wildly out of touch with what it means to bless someone and what it means to curse someone. And so uh, just, a, just a couple words. Uh, to think, when Jesus said, bless those who curse you, just a couple words here. Uh, to bless means to seek someone's what? To seek someone's well-being. That's a blessing. You just are seeking someone. You want them to flourish. You're seeking their well-being. To curse someone is to seek their undoing or to desire their undoing. Uh, to bless is to seek their well-being, to desire their well-being. To curse is to desire their undoing. When Jesus says, bless those who curse you, he's saying, seek the well-being of somebody who is seeking your undoing. Seek the well-being of someone who is seeking your undoing. So uh, let me show you uh, an example of a blessing in your Bible so you can kind of get a, 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 a taste of this. Uh, Psalm 105, so from the Psalms, verse 14 and 15, you'd find this, uh, may the Lord cause you to flourish. Man, you and your kids, may the Lord cause you to flourish, both you and your children. May you be blessed of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. That's a blessing. And people would actually do stuff like that. It'd be uh, someone's wedding or someone is moving or someone has a new child. And you say, may the Lord cause you to flourish, both you and your children. You're seeking their well-being. May you be blessed of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And people would actually bless, give each other a blessing like that. That is a blessing. So you're saying, okay, wonderful. That is a blessing. What does a, what does a curse look like? And in order to see what a curse looks like, that's Psalm 115. Just go back to Psalm 109, and I will read you some verses of someone who really wants the undoing of somebody else. Psalm 109. This is part of the curse. May his days be few, and may another take his place of leadership. May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. May his children be wandering beggars. May they be driven from their ruined homes. May a creditor seize all that he has. May strangers plunder the fruits of his labor. And in the margin of my Bible, I just wrote the word wowzers. <laughs> God, get him. Wipe out everything he has. If it wouldn't be too much, end his days soon. May his days be short. Oh, and the kids that he leaves behind, may they be wandering beggars, and may someone swoop in and confiscate all of his assets. That, my friends, is a curse. Now, I know it's written a long time ago, 3,000 years ago. It feels kind of antiquated, feels a little barbaric. So I have written an updated version because I want to be helpful. 
So just in case you want to curse someone, here's some ideas. May his job be outsourced to Guatemala. May he suffer from some itchy condition. And may he spend three agonizing, itchy months to get an appointment with his dermatologist, who upon examining his body expresses, huh, that's weird. I don't think I've ever seen anything like this before. Have you tried Benadryl? May a covert photographer snap pictures of her while she is on vacation, wearing an unflattering swimsuit. May these images end up gracing the cover of tabloids available at every grocery checkout lane in America. And may she be so embarrassed that she will not show her face in Starbucks. I'm just getting warmed up. <laughs> may their second grader be rejected for the gifted and talented program. May their high schooler drop out two weeks before graduation in order to follow an indie band across Canada. May their sump pump fail <laughs> during a torrential three-day downpour and flood their basement while they are out of town crisscrossing Canada in search of their 18-year-old. <laughs> May they become trapped in an adjustable rate mortgage attempting to refinance at above 8% as they helplessly watch the value of their home plummet on Zillow. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, you're kind of good at that. That troubles me. <laughs> I mean, this is just for fun. <laughs> Of course. <laughs> Just a question is anybody, anybody do something to you and you'd really kind of be okay if bad things happen to them? That's a curse. Now, if someone throws down something like that on you or wishes that against you, may your job unravel, may your parenting unravel, may your income unravel, and you look back and say, well, I got one for you. May the Lord cause you to flourish, both you and your children. May you be blessed of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. That's just weird. This is what Jesus is saying when he tells his followers, bless those who curse you. So, big question. Why? Why would you even want to take a shot at that? <laughs> Why would you want to even try? Because being kind to a mean person is just one of the strangest things in the world. And being mean to a mean person, hurting someone, hurting you, is one of the most natural things in the world. So uh, part two just has to do with motivation. Part two has to do with motivation. And what we're going to discover in this part is that I desire the Christian view of things. I desire to show you kindness because someone showed me kindness. And I desire to show you mercy because someone showed me mercy. That's the motivation. So back to, the, back to the teaching of Jesus in that section of scripture, it happens to be Luke chapter 6, where Jesus said, uh, bless those who curse you. He, he talked about the why, and this is something he leaned into with the why. He says, because he, God the Father, because he is kind to two kinds of people. He is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. The heavenly Father 
Who is God kind to? Well, among other people, he's kind to the ungrateful and he's kind to the wicked. And then Jesus would say, uh, be merciful as your Father in heaven is merciful. He is kind to the ungrateful. It's, it's kind of weird because uh, ingratitude, not being thankful, is kind of like this cosmic crime. And there are a lot of times when I, listen, seriously, genuinely, I am grateful. I am grateful for a January Saturday with blue sky and sunshine all day, and I am grateful. I am grateful when I chomp into a delicious sandwich or exquisite pizza, and I am uh, grateful. I am often grateful because of uh, new experiences, new opportunities to experience and explore. I can be grateful, and you know what else? I can act like an ungrateful, entitled, spoiled brat. And the weirdness is, is that God's goodness and kindness seems to drop around me on my grateful days and on my ungrateful days, on my thankful days and on my unthankful days. And this is what Jesus says. He says, listen, bless those who curse you because your Father in heaven understands something. He shows kindness, not just to good people. He shows kindness to ungrateful people, unthankful people, and even flat-out bad people. And then he would say that second statement, be merciful as your Father in heaven is merciful. He says, look, no, uh, nowhere are you more like your heavenly Father than we're showing mercy to someone who does not deserve it. Uh, it's like you're looking a whole lot like Dad. Be merciful as your Father in heaven is merciful. Uh, two gestures. Uh, you practice these with me, really. And, uh, at our other campuses, do this as well. You're sitting at home, wherever you are. Just kind of go like this. Just kind of like, can you do it? Come on, play along. Come on, it's an all skate. Ready? Like this, and then just kind of like this. Just two gestures. One more time, ready? Like this, like pointing out, and then like this. Okay. You don't actually do this to someone, but think it in your, <laughs> think it in your mind. Um, I'm not kind to you because you're kind to me. I'm kind to you because he was kind to me. You're going to need to remember these two gestures sometime. I'm not kind to you because you were kind to me. I'm kind to you because he was kind to me. And the greatest gesture of the kindness and mercy of God is, of course, this image here, the picture of the cross. And this is, this is what this uh, 1 Peter 3.9 is that uh, instead show uh, uh, blessing, you know, do not give insult for insult, evil for evil, but instead return evil with blessing. That's verse 9. Uh, verse 18, so it's like, it's like right, right down the page. Peter would point to this. He would say, this is like verse 18, for Christ suffered uh, once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. The righteous for the unrighteous. Jesus was perfectly righteous, and he died for people that really, really were wrong. Unrighteous means it's unright. There's just so much unright that goes on in our hearts and in our lives. The righteous for the unrighteous in order to bring us to God. That, my friends, is the heart of the gospel. And what it means to dig deep into this story of the gospel, that G, when you say, okay, he went there for me. This crucifixion thing, he went there for me. A righteous person, for us, unright people, in order to bring us to God the Father. 
What I'm trying to say here is I'm not kind to you because you're kind to me. I'm kind to you because he was kind to me. And my friends, it's possible to, it's possible to be gluttons in receiving God's mercy and misers in letting it dribble out to other people. We can be gluttons in receiving forgiveness and mercy and just misers in letting it dribble out of our lives. Uh, this is the motivation. This is the motivation. It takes us back to the goodness of God, the mercy of God, the kindness of God, and the goodness and love shown at the cross. Uh, I'm not kind to you because you were kind to me. I'm kind to you because he was kind to me. You have to see yourself as someone who is full, who is forgiven, who is someone who was so radically wrong. And Jesus' love and mercy was just so extreme as your roots go down into this story of the cross, it can begin to affect the way you relate to those around you. Uh, I desire kindness because someone showed kindness to me. I desire mercy because someone showed mercy to me. What's this doing here? So 1 Peter chapter 3 do not return insult for insult. You know, instead, return evil with blessing. What's this doing here? What Peter is explaining is not only what we should be motivated by, but often what this type of weird, extreme behavior, being kind to someone who's not kind to you, what it will result in. So, so, so part three just has to do with the result. The result. Now, I'm going to draw something here, just scribble something, really, and uh, it might take you a minute to see where this is, is going, so hang with me uh, on this one. What I want to draw here is just uh, something I'm calling kind of like the, the bandwidth of what I call normal goodness. It's really, really good, but it's kind of normal goodness. And so uh, by normal goodness, I mean this. I mean... Uh, it's Saturday, and your work asks employees in your company to volunteer for a uh, volunteer workday. So sacrifice a Saturday, show up on a Saturday morning, show up, and we go serve in the community. And uh, so that's, that, that, that's good, by the way. This is really good. Uh, goodness, uh, uh, making homemade cookies for someone that just moved into your neighborhood, bringing them cookies and saying, just want to welcome you to the neighborhood. Uh, that's good. I put this one out here a little higher because that's helping a friend move. Now, wait a minute, Jeff, be clear. Helping them, helping them pack or helping them unpack? Both. You helped load the U-Haul, and you helped unload the U-Haul, and so that is, that is up there. But still kind of in the bandwidth of what I would call, no, don't stop doing any of that stuff. Just what I would call normal, normal goodness. Now, verse 9 do not repay insult for insult, repay evil with blessing. Just a couple verses later is verse 15 where Peter would write this. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. That's verse 15. Peter's saying, listen, listen, listen. Always. Always be ready to be able to give a response when someone comes up to you and goes, why are you living with such hope? It's how to live the questionable life. How to live the kind of life that generates questions from kind of like someone outside the faith looking in. So here's my question for you. What type of goodness here 
is likely to cause someone to approach you and ask a faith question. My take? It's probably got to be something up there. Off the chart. Out of the range of common goodness. Just, I just don't think someone's going to approach you and say, thank you for the cookies, tell me about Jesus. Well, I don't know, it could happen. I guess it depends on the quality of the cookies. But most likely, it's got to be something strange. Not normal goodness, but abnormal goodness. Not common goodness, but what's up with that? Why are you kind to them type goodness? Something off the chart, off the graph is something that would cause someone to actually inquire. And Jesus, Jesus mentioned this. In, in that passage where he said, bless those who curse you, he went on this riff where he goes, listen, if you're good to the people that are good to you, what reward are you going to get? Everybody does that. If you're loving to the people who love you, uh, even tax collectors love the people that love them, and the dirtbag tax collectors, even they do that. What he's talking is that normal goodness is I'm good to people who are good to me. And Jesus is calling to extraordinary goodness or extreme goodness. That is conversation generating. What I'm trying to say is this, is that um, not returning insult for insult, instead re repaying evil with blessing, this can do a number of things in your life. It could restore some very... Uh, challenging relationships. It could revitalize your marriage. It could allow you to forgive somebody someday, to forgive somebody for doing something awful and horrible instead of becoming an angry old person. It can do all kinds of good things in your life. However, the passage seemed to be leading in the direction of when you live in this realm, when you allow God to work in you and work through you, it makes Jesus just a little more believable. That's why Peter says, listen, when you live like that, you be ready to give an answer when someone comes up to you and says, explain this. Explain this. Why can you do that? How can you do that? Why are you living with such hope in your life? It's a central part of living the questionable life. Now, I can only imagine that some of you are going like, okay, Jeff, wonderful. Even if I wanted to do that, I don't know how to do it. I don't, I don't even know what it looks like. Tell me what to do, and I, I can't, because there's just no one-size-fits-all, and there's really no playbook for this. So just part four is just the challenge, and I'm calling it the challenge because sometimes you will feel like you're sailing out into uncharted waters, and there's, oh, do this first, do this second, do this third. You're just moving toward chaos, and you're going to have to figure it out a piece at a time. So I just want to acknowledge there will be situations where you go, Jeff, I do not have a clue. I do not have a clue how to honor a parent that didn't honor me. I don't have a clue. Some of you are in a space where you go, even when you got a compliment from your parent, it was a qualified compliment. It was like a compliment with a criticism on the back end. And you remember some of these statements. You're beautiful. Why do you dress like that? How long are you going to be at community college? When are you going to start going to a real college? I thought this was a real college. Man, even your greatest achievements, Eagle Scout, 
took you long enough. Jeff, how? How, how do you bless that? I don't know. You, you see, in the living room, he snaps at her, then she snaps at him, then he snaps at her, then she snaps at him. Insult for insult, the thing begins to roll and starts to get out of control. And he goes, okay, if I stop, she says, if I stop, and I say, okay, rather than insult for insult, I just want to bless. What in the world does that look like? It's 6.15 in the living room. Some of you really had something truly awful, horrific that changed the course of your life. How do you, how do you not curse that person? How do you bless that person? And I just want to acknowledge here that there's no one-size-fits-all, but what I want to do is I want to tell you a story, and I think the story that I'm going to tell kind of illustrates some of the complexity in the movement. And so what I want, want you to identify is, is movement while confused. <laughs> That's what I want you to identify. So uh, last week, I had a telephone conversation with Janet. Uh, Janet used to be our Director of Human Resources here at Ada Bible Church, some years back, moved to the lakeshore with her family. And I remember this story from you know, like some 15 years ago or something like that, but I called her just to get straight on the facts of the story and to get Janet's permission to tell you this story. Uh, Janet found herself standing at the bottom of the stairs of the VA hospital, Veterans Hospital, north of Chicago, Illinois, preparing herself to walk up the stairs and to go in and to speak to her father that she had not spoken to in 17 years. And she had not planned on doing this when she went to Chicago. Her daughter, uh, Caitlin, young girl, and they were having like a, an American Girls weekend. Remember those American Girl dolls? And so they were doing American Girls like, you know, on Michigan Avenue, Magnificent Mile, and it struck Janet that she needed to go an hour north and to see the father that she had not talked to for 17 years. There was a reason she had not talked to him for 17 years. Growing up, her family was very complicated, largely due to her dad's behavior. Vietnam vet comes back. Uh, he would go on drinking binges three or four days at a time, just absolutely disappear from the family. Sometimes he'd go on a drinking binge, and he'd be gone like for two weeks, and then all of a sudden show back up. This was so disruptive that when Janet was like, I don't know, eight or nine years old, her mom took the kids and left. And at that point, there was kind of a, an attempt at a relationship, but never a call on her birthday, never a birthday card. Never, you know, at a sporting event, and you look up in the stands, and your dad's sitting there. He would make plans to meet for an outing. They'd cancel at the last minute or just no show when you're sitting there on the front porch waiting for your dad to show up and he doesn't. When she was 17 years old, she called a meeting with her father. She was planning on going to college. Her question was, is there any way you can help me with college expenses in any way and can you help me get into a car? 
Her dad had remarried the woman he had remarried. She had two kids, and kind of like any financial margin was kind of moving in that direction. But he said that he would get her into a car, and he did get her into a car, which was then repossessed because he failed to make the payments. And at that point, she said, done. Done. I'm done. She didn't talk to him again for 17 years, and that's where she found herself standing at the bottom of the steps of the VA hospital with this, on an American Girls Weekend <laughs> with this impression that she needed to re-engage with her dad. She goes up the stairs, inquires about her dad. Taken, he, the reason he was in the VA hospital is he had been found on some street in some absolute drunken stupor, functionally homeless. Someone, you know, ambulance comes, they go through your ID, found out he was a veteran, so he's taken to the veterans facility. It was an attempt at recovery on his part. When she introduced herself to her dad, he thought she was a social worker. Didn't recognize her. One, the condition that he was in, and also just your parents changes a little bit in 17 years. Part of the conversation, she showed him pictures of his two grandchildren, her kids, Joel and Caitlin. And she said, Dad, I want you to get well, and if you ever do get well, maybe we could see you. I said, so last week on the phone, I said, why did you do that? And she said, I, I, really, I really wanted him to get better. And I was thinking to myself, if part of his not getting better is my kids hate me and won't talk to me, I kind of wanted to get that off the table. So if anything, like, I won't speak to you is prohibiting him from getting his life together, I just, I wanted to remove that. She, listen, she was blessing him. She was wishing his well-being when he had caused a lot of undoing. Uh, he was released from the veterans facility. He was able to work. Uh, he was dysfunctional. On Christmas, sometimes they'd go pick him up. He's like living with uh, Janet's aunt or some other relative. And uh, for a brief visit, they would take him to their house for a brief visit. Or they would go camp out where he was staying for a brief visit. Uh, sometime later, he moved uh, close to the Grand Rapids area. And every once in a while, like once a month, they would go and have uh, brunch with him on a, on a Sunday, Sunday brunch. She said uh, he was kind and he was really trying and her kids were able to, to meet their, their grandpa, and he was able to meet his grandchildren. Now, uh, this is not one of those, and they lived happily ever after. This is not a Hallmark Hall of Fame movie. It's a very complicated situation. And so Janet was very clear, uh, it wasn't huggy. No, I love you, Dad. It was just kind of like, do you have what you need? And can we provide what you need in order to stay the course here? in order to stay on track. What I love about the story is the very complicated nature of the story about Janet's movement without having a playbook, like feeling you're moving out into uncharted waters. As our conversation was winding up, I just said to her, Janet, I believe what you did makes Jesus very, very happy. And she says, yeah, I can't imagine having done that without, like, Jesus in my life and what that involves. So, man, 
you know, I don't know, you know, if you have an ex seven years after their marriage ended and they're still on the war path, okay, oh, do this first, do this second, do this third. It, it, it's, it's just, it's more complicated than that. It's more unwieldy than that. I do have two words of advice. One is uh, seek out someone wise. Is someone in your small group? I mean, I got to tell you, this is an incredible small group conversation. Is I don't have a clue how to do that. But seek out the voice of someone wise. Just let them listen and, and maybe say, have you tried? Get someone else's thoughts other than your own. And secondly, I would invite God into the process. It's one of those times where I just open my hands and I would say, uh, Lord, I have no idea on earth what to actually do here. I Give me something and then wait. And it might be, it might be that a day or within a day or two, an idea occurs to you and you swear you would not have come up with that idea. And you say, well, maybe, maybe that's from God. And some of you are going, well, Jeff, will that work? And I went, what do you mean, will it work? I mean, will, it, will the person change then? I don't know. I know this. It changes you. It changes you, and when you try to bless someone who's in the process of cursing you or insulting you, at least it keeps the situation from accelerating. It can hit the brake pedal on an evening going crazy. I don't know if it changes them. It can change you, and it can decelerate the situation, but also it, is, it, it causes us to be able to reflect the Jesus who showed such mercy and kindness for us. It begins to generate gospel change. I'm kind not because you're kind, but because he was kind. But when you get this idea of how to bless someone who withheld the blessing from you, it's probably going to be something up here. It's probably going to be out of the ordinary. It's probably going to be extreme. It's probably going to be a little weird. It might even be weird enough that it's possible Someplace, sometimes, someone might ask, why did you do that for them? And maybe part of your answer is, you know, as a believer, my life is based on a man who was kind to me. My life is based on a man who showed mercy to me. And that seems to affect a lot of what I do. This is one of the most powerful areas of movement in your life. To live the questionable life. be able to answer with gentleness and respect. I have a sense that I need to pray for you before you march into your week. So let me ask you to stand here at Cascade, also at our other uh, spaces, at our other campuses. Gracious God, please bless us with a fresh endowment of your kindness and mercy. <laughs> Make us aware of the pool of kindness and mercy that we swim in because of you. Give us the creativity, give us the patience,
Give us the ideas that would never come to us alone. Gracious God, we ask this in the name of Jesus, who showed mercy and kindness to us. Amen. We'll see you next week.